citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is Beer Me a Movie, the podcast where Bry Guy and I throw movies at each other every single week and we score it. And if our score happens to line up with the Rotten Tomatoes critical score, audience score, we gotta finish our drink. And we drink. So should you. Yeah. The beer of the movie and etc. You're part of the team if you're listening to this thing. If you got two ear holes uh, and you are listening to our sultry voices going through them, Ooh. you better drink or else uh, you're no friend of mine. Gosh darn it. Beer me a movie. This show for people with two ear holes and one mouth hole. That's right. Two ears, one mouth coming to a YouTube porn tube. Red tube near you. Every kind of tube except for the London tube. That's right. I suppose. Why? I don't know. I had to exclude some tube. You sound like you're from London. That's why we're not allowed. Fair enough. (laughs) This week, Brian has gifted me, not so much all of you, an early Christmas present because we are talking about one of my favorite films of all time. It's a Mount Rushmore director for me, folks. Because we are talking about The Apartment from 1960, directed by Billy fucking Wilder. Yeah, that was a gift from me to you, pal. I needed it. I deserved it, frankly. Yes, um, I have bad news, but we'll get there. What's the bad news? We'll get there. You said we'll get there. Um, we'll get there. Is the bad news coming after this question of, Brian, please give me your thoughts on this movie because I know you've never seen it before? No, it's not there. Uh, oh, I actually, I, I fucking I loved say, this movie. The show literally could have ended today. I was Screeching so Screeching halt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. See you never. Burn in hell, Brian. Bye. Yeah, no, that would have been fair because this movie is a treat and a treasure, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it three times over the past week. Oh, my God. That's way too many. And that's coming from me, who's seen this movie conservative dozen times already. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I just, I really enjoyed it. I love hearing that, man. There's movies out there, folks. Film didn't start in 2020 or something like that. <laughs> Dig back a little bit. You're allowed to watch movies that start with the year 1-9. You are. They're allowed to be black and white, too, sometimes. This is like one of the last of the black and whites. Is this before... the last black and white Best Picture winner? It was until... Don't count Schindler's List. Schindler's List doesn't count, but there was also the other one... Um. Oh, The Artist. The Artist. That's what it's called. That's right. And people are just like, oh my God, that movie's silent. It should win Best Picture. And it's like, all right, folks, I know what I said about (laughs) you're allowed to watch movies from before. Do that, because it's not that special. Yeah, I think old turns a lot of people off, but this is is a great movie. This is a great movie. Do you want to get into it? I'm... Like, terrified what we're going to score. So I'm going to fanboy. It, no, fuck it. I'm going to fangirl on this thing. Fangirl away. Do you? God, I can't wait. I love this movie. Have you ever seen any other Billy Wilder flicks before? I don't think so. Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, Ace in the Hole, Lost Weekend. No, but as I was looking into stuff for this episode, I was like, oh, wow, he's got a lot of really good movies that I should have seen by now. He has seven movies in the National Film Registry. He sure does. <laughs> he fucks. And he fucks hard, folks. Oh, I have seen some like it hot. So I have seen one other Billy Wilder. There you go. I'm happy to hear that. But uh, Billy Wilder is high. He's like 1A on my Mount Rushmore because I do think Steven Spielberg's the greatest filmmaker's ever lived. Wow. But Spielberg, Wilder, Kurosawa, Kubrick. It's a good Rushmore. Yeah. And that last one sometimes gets interchanged because I feel real weird leaving Hitchcock off. But. It's a rotating rock monument. 
that's not how it works. <laughs> Are you ready to get into this thing? Yeah, I think I'm ready to get into this. Now, this is where the aforementioned bad news comes in, Dave. You can't bring me down no matter what you do, man. We're talking the apartment. Can't bring me down. Ryder McStrikely has struck out on a new endeavor, and it no. reminds- No, hold on. Because he, he's gotten into his acting role, and I was like, okay, he's going to put himself in the shoes of C.C. Baxter here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, he's not doing that. He's giving us something more akin to a Keaton Patty bot script from the past. Why are you doing this? Because uh, I can. And don't look at me. It's Ryder <laughs> McStrikely. It's because Ryder McStrikely can. Fair. The robots are taking over, folks. Thanks, Asimov. And- you had to make your rules of bullshit that people follow, which is insane. No, it's good that they do, because they're generally, the rules are like, hey, don't kill all humans, Bender. But you also have, like, the Ten Commandments. They're kind of, like, in the same realm of, "Ah, just don't do these things, guys. Just don't do these things. All it takes is one bad robot. (laughs) Fair. That's not wrong. You ever see those dog robots? They make me uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't like those, especially the way people are kicking them over all the time. Well, you can't. That's the problem. Like, you kick that thing, oh, and, like... They used to go over, and now they like find their balance, and then they like look at you with their lack of eyes, and you're like, ah, God damn it! I'm glad you don't have eyes, but this feeling is uneasy still about disturbing. This. These torture dogs that we keep trying to beat <laughs> up, but they keep coming back. One of these days, they're gonna be like, I'm, I've had enough of being abused. And thanks, Boston Dynamics. Yep, that's how you get got. So yeah, we have something of a a bot script here for this episode, written by writer McStrikely, which means you have a part to play here. Should I open it? You said it to me. I haven't looked at this thing yet. I'll set the scene, and then you can open it. That's what she said. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the setting is a bustling 1960s office. Two women, Marlene and Gloria, are perched by the water cooler, whispering and giggling as they discuss the latest office scandal. This movie is an entire scandal. It sure is. I will be playing Marlene... And you'll be playing Gloria. Ah, role I was born to play. <laughs> are you ready? I'm ready if you are. Why are there visual cues in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> Ryder McStrikely. All right. <laughs> Story motivation. Keep that in mind. Story motivation. Right. Story motivation. Action. Gloria, have you heard the latest about Mr. Baxter's apartment? Oh, do tell, Marlene. I caught a whisper. But you know how those rumors fly. Well, dear, it turns out that Mr. C.C. Baxter, played by Jack fucking Lemon, that unassuming fellow from the 19th floor, has been lending out his apartment to the higher-ups for their, um, extracurricular activities. I mean sex, folks. I mean sex. This movie's <laughs> full of sex. So much sex. Back to Gloria. <gasps> no! Not Baxter! Why, he seems so innocent! Afraid so. And it's not just any higher-ups. We're talking about the big fish, managers, directors, even Mr. Sheldrake, Fred McMurray, Fred the big boss. Fred McMurray, and... you burn in fucking hell, Brian. How no, I was... fucking dare you? How fucking dare you? I was trying to find the balance between being no, in character no, and giving no, the- No, 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 Your character can fuck all the way off. You give Fred McMurray the respect that he deserves. I fully intended to give Fred McMurray full respect, but Marlene had other plans. Marlene, that minx, not letting Brian give <laughs> yeah. the proper respect. I hate it. I hate this so much. I got way into character. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll fix it. No, you don't fix it. You need to go to California, find Fred McMurray in the hole that he's in for eternity, <laughs> and go apologize. Apologies to the entire fucking McMurray family. 
oh my god like i'm so offended right now i didn't mean to and the worst part is that everybody listening to this doesn't know who fucking fred mcmurray is he's great movies started before 2020 folks <laughs> didn't he sign like a huge disney contract right before this movie came out and all these people were like offended that he was in this yep especially love because that. he was kind of playing like this weird love interest leading up to this movie. He was in Double Indemnity also, which is another Billy Wilder masterpiece. And he kind of played the, I don't even know if it's an anti-hero in that, because he's an insurance salesman uh, who, uh, I don't want to spoil that movie, man. Go watch don't. movies, people. <laughs> oh, my Old God. Old movies have merit. They do. The, the titles don't have to have Fast or Furious in it for you to enjoy it, okay? <laughs> that said, stay tuned. Stay tuned. For sure, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming faster than you think, which is much more to say than any quarter mile they've ever done in those movies. It is coming more furiously than you think. <laughs> Managers, directors, even Mr. Sheldrake, Fred fucking McMurray, the big boss himself. Ooh, Mr. Sheldrake? But isn't he married to that lovely woman with the perfect hair? That's the juiciest part, honey. He's been having a torrid affair with Fran Kublik, Shirley fucking McLean, the darling elevator operator. It says clutches pearls here. Clutches <laughs> pearls. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, Ritter McStrike? You just gotta say this pearl clutchingly. Oh, my stars. Sweet Fran, but she's such a doll. Why would she... <laughs> with him? Who knows what goes on in the hearts of men, or women for that matter. But listen, it gets sadder. Baxter, he's got a thing for Fran, too. Oh, poor man. It's tough when love's a one-way street. Yes, but he doesn't know she's the one Sheldrake's been taking to his apartment. Imagine lending your key to the crush's rendezvous. Breaks your heart, doesn't it? I love the way that Brady McShark is actually setting this up. The entire premise of this movie is that C.C. Baxter, Jack Lemon, has an apartment. And a lot of the higher-ups at his company use his apartment for the bone zone. <laughs> for cheating on their wives. There's an entire system within this office, I guess it is, uh, where the keys are getting exchanged. He's got a Rolodex and he does Rolodex things with the Rolodex as he's setting up appointments and whatnot. So he, he can sure arrange does. the sex for the big wigs. He's got a secret calendar to keep his date straight. It's a real scandalous movie, man, for 1960. Cause yeah, big they made time. movies then. <laughs> Did they make movies before 2020, Dave? I can't believe it either. Huh? But yeah, you have all this on-screen chemistry between uh, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Lemon. They're adorable together, but Shirley MacLaine shacking up with Fred McMurray. And it's in C uh, the Jack Lemmon apartment, C.C. Baxter. It's really complicated. It's super complicated. In a really easy to follow way, though. It really is. They make it so easy to follow. <laughs> Breaks your heart, doesn't it? It certainly does. But what happened next? Well, Christmas Eve rolls around and Baxter finds out the truth. Fran had an overdose right there in his apartment. The boss, Mr. Sheldrake, breaks up with Fran in the apartment. Because he keeps saying, I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my wife. And then he just doesn't. Because he never was going to leave his wife. Come on, Fran. Come on. Yeah. Is it really a breakup? Or is it just she's sick of him just stringing her along? That might be what it is. He doesn't really break up with her. You know that she's still very much on that Fred McMurray hook. Yeah. And I don't blame her. It's fucking Fred McMurray, man. It's Fred fucking McMurray. But yeah, she goes into CeCe's medicine cabinet and just takes a ton of pills. Not great. 
for a happy-go-lucky movie. It's about <laughs> suicide, folks. Suicide and adultery. Ah, <laughs> uh, the 60s. What a time to be alive. I guess I got to be back to Gloria. Yeah. Oh, how dreadful. But she's all right, isn't she? Yes, yes, she's fine. Baxter took care of her, and they spent the weekend together. Strictly platonic, of course. It was strictly platonic, and it's adorable. He takes good care of her, even though she's trying to like leave the whole time. And he says, you are definitely not leaving. You are not well. You are in shit shape. He goes to his doctor neighbor, and he has to get like him to pump her stomach at a point. And the doctor neighbor's just like, you party too hard there, Cece. I love that the entire apartment building thinks that he's this playboy and... They're trying to tell Fran that she could do better. And the whole time, they're basically saying, like, you got to find, like, a nice boy. And they're they're kind of talking up buddy boy, Cece Baxter. This movie's so well written, man. <laughs> it's, it's so unbelievable well how well it works. And let me guess. Sparks flew? You could say that. Baxter finally stood up to the bigwigs, told them to find another place for their dirty deeds. Good for him. And what about Mr. Sheldrake? Oh, he got what's coming to him. Baxter quit that demeaning job, and Sheldrake's wife found out about the affair. That's what I call a Christmas miracle. But what about our lovebirds, Baxter and Fran? Well, let's just say that as the new year rolled in, those two found themselves playing cards together in Baxter's apartment. A cozy little scene, just the two of them. Gin rummy, was it? Yes, and darling Fran said she'd rather play cards with Baxter than anything with Sheldrake. I don't believe that for a second, but. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, love finds a way, even in the most unexpected places. What a story, Marlene. Indeed, Gloria. It's better than the movies, I tell you. They both laugh, sharing a moment of camaraderie before returning to their respective desks, the hum of office gossip still buzzing in the air. Story motivation. If this isn't a 10, I quit. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely a 10. As simple as that. (laughs) Wait. Are you giving me an out right now? I'm giving you an out. This is your chance to quit by just saying nine. (laughs) Nine and a half. You son of a bitch. Ten it is. I think this is a fucking naked gun movie that we're talking about here. You can just start throwing fractions. 33 and and a third. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the story motivation is almost completely airtight the way that it works. Yeah. Billy Wilder, IAL Diamond wrote the shit out of this movie. Billy Wilde directed the shit out of this movie. It's a relatively complicated story going on underneath everything that's happening. It really is. it is so easy to follow. They do an excellent job. They really do. There's a lot that we didn't even touch on with that somewhat synopsis that, I mean, complicates things even further. There's promotions. There's Mrs. Margie McDougal. All the drama that you can possibly imagine. Sheldrick's secretary, Miss Olsen. There's, there's so much going on. It's a 10. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful 10. Yes. And can I tell you personally, because I'm the one who edits these motherfucks, love that synopsis this week. <laughs> <laughs> Holiday season is bearing down hard on my watch. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. So hopefully that, that makes it a little bit easier for you. <laughs> Let's hope. Next up, we have casting. I said it once already. I'll say it again. If this isn't a 10, I'll quit. <laughs> I like that Paul Douglas was supposed to be Sheldrake, and he had the job and then died of a heart attack while eating breakfast in New York just before he had to fly out to the coast to film. And that's how you get Fred McMurray. You get Billy Wilder to Fred fly fucking him McMurray. They already worked. We already covered that. Don't be that, a Marlene. We've already covered that. Thank you. Fair, fair. But I love that Jack Lemmon got cast in this thing because while Billy Wilder's making some like it hot, 
it was his first time working with Jack Lemmon. He said, I got to write something else for this guy. He can play every single aspect of a role. Yeah. And we're going to get there in a second when we talk about the protagonist, but the casting this thing is flawless. Absolutely fantastic. I will allow your 10 just to keep the show going. Look at you do care about my, my free time, my lack of. <laughs> if I really cared, I'd give it a nine. That's give a you good some point. That time back. <laughs> just let it die in the most appropriate way. <laughs> uh, you finally got Dave on one of his favorites of all time. Also, deuces, folks. What if I started throwing out zeros? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be like the ultimate troll move. It really would. We've got to find middle ground here, Dave. Fives? Okay. Oh, my God. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I will. Protagonist is next. C.C. Baxter, Jack fucking Lemon. Jack Lemon is a Swiss Army knife. He really is. Do they make actors this versatile still? They don't. And one of the things people don't know about Jack Lemon is that he's a proper actor. A lot of people know Jack Lemon from his older days with like grumpy old men. Yes. At least our generation for the most part. That's what they know him from. Maybe shortcuts, something like that. But he has this ability to be this everyman. He can bring out the lighter side of a character while still playing into this darker story. Yeah. He manages to find the comedy in the saddest of places in this movie. The amount of suicide jokes in this film. It's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, and he still seems to play this innocent kind of a little bit oafish man who's just trying to get ahead in his in his life and, you know, find love and, and do good at his job and just kind of a victim of circumstance. And you root for him. Just to give you an idea of who Jack Lemmon was, Walter Matthau probably put it best in his 1988 American Film Institute speech about Jack Lemmon. He said, I figured my knowing him so well was the reason he always seemed so familiar up there on the screen. It's not. It's just what he does. He allows us to see the tragedy and the comedy of the world through the eyes of someone we know, someone he hints we may even be. Because in the words of the poet and philosopher Billy Wilder, most actors can show you one or two things and they've emptied their shelves. Jack Lemmon is Macy's and Tiffany's and Sears Roebuck, catalog and all. Yes. And Billy Wilder also is quoted as saying, happiness is working with Jack Lemmon. I believe it. And that it. says something, because Billy Wilder was a little bit of a son of a bitch. <laughs> Speaking of son of a bitches, uh, Jack Lemmon did not win the Best Actor Oscar for this movie, but Kevin Spacey did dedicate his Oscar for American Beauty to him. That's really, really complicated, but let me give you a less complicated version of that story in a way. Okay. In 1998, the Golden Globes, Jack Lemmon was nominated for Best Actor in a Miniseries or Television Film for 12 Angry Men. Okay. And he lost to Ving Rhames. Wow. Who was in Don King Only in America. Ving Rhames asked Jack Lemmon to come on stage as he was giving his speech, to which Jack Lemmon did and said, don't you dare give me that. To which Ving Rhames <laughs> gave him his Golden Globe. Amazing. <laughs> because he wanted to pay it forward. Just because Jack Lemmon was that much of an inspiration to even a, a huge actor like Ving Ray. Like, I can't yeah. wax poetic enough about, about Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon. <laughs> Jack Lemmon is great. Even when he got older, you see he's nominated here, 12 Angry Men. If you watch like Glenn Guy or Glenn Ross, he's unbelievable in that too. Yeah. He's one of the greatest of all time for a reason. 11. 11 for Bud Baxter. 
You root for the guy, even though he's kind of a pushover. I can see it. He makes spaghetti on a tennis racket. It's wonderful. It is wonderful, and one of the only improvised scenes in the movie. We'll talk about that more in screenplay after we talk about the antagonist. Fred fucking McMurray, Mr. Sheldrake. Is it Sheldrake or is it corporate America? Capitalism. It's probably Sheldrake. Just adultery in general. It's probably Sheldrake. But also, Listen, I it's see where you're going probably Sheldrake. <laughs> Getting somebody with the clout that Fred McMurray has to do this role is beautiful because this is very much not what he's known for. <laughs> Big time. He's a family guy. He's a Disney star at this point. Everybody knows who he is. And then he comes in and does this type of role, which it's got to be jarring. It really does, especially after something like the shaggy dog. Let me go put Fido away while I go bone in this <laughs> random apartment. It's, it's a very big difference. And I understand why he was accosted on the street by mothers who were brought their kids to this movie thinking it was a Disney film. Whoops. Yeah. That's got to give it a 10. If mothers are accosting you on the street because they don't know how to read a movie poster, then (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it says more about Frederick Murray more about mothers in 1960 and they're reading abilities. To be fair, this is is eight years before the MPAA existed, so. That's very fair. Yeah, sure. That's a 10, I suppose. I'm letting you get away with murder here. Right now, we're very much on pace to break 100. I just want to throw that out there, and I don't see how we don't. Absolutely are on pace. Screenplay. What was I just saying we would get back to at screenplay? Improvising. Improvising. Oh, yeah. Billy Wilder would not let anybody improvise this script. Nope. He is very much word perfect. His actors have to say it the way that he wrote it. I think there's two scenes in this movie that are improvised. They're both Jack Lemmon. It's when he squeezes the eye drops. And when he makes, when he sings the song while he's making the spaghetti with a tennis racket. A lot of people wanted to work with Billy Wilder back in this time. And it's kind of funny because when you look at directors from the 40s, the 50s, that era, the people you start to think about a lot are like Orson Welles coming yeah. out of the 40s. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like bigger name directors from that time. And I'm struggling because... When I think of that time, I think of like a Preston Sturgis or a King Vidor or Michael Curtis or something like that. But those are people that only idiot nerds like me are interested in. <laughs> I mean, Hitchcock. Yeah, I mean, he won 1940 Best Picture with Rebecca and then never got there again. That's true. But absolutely, he's really starting to build his clout throughout the 40s, especially coming to America. So Billy Wilder was a god during this time <laughs> an absolute god and it's it's sad that his name has sort of fallen off a little bit in modern times yeah and i feel like that's like my crusade is don't forget about billy because he is that good of a filmmaker one of the greatest of all time for a reason there's a reason he's on your monument but we're talking screenplay right now Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting about that because, you know, <laughs> it's a Billy Wilder movie. The direction right. and the screenplay are one and the same. Exactly. But you got to give IAL Diamond the credit. You sure do. Another really good pairing there, especially after his breakup with Charles Brackett after they did Sunset Boulevard because they were collaborators before that. And then he found IAL Diamond and they just kept making more magic. Yeah, it was the two of them. And Jack Lemmon shows up a few times, too. It's sort of like a, a trio that keeps showing up together. This movie did win the Oscar for Best Screenplay. It sure did. It was going up against a lot of things that a lot of people haven't heard of. The only one I've heard of that it was up against was Hiroshima Mon Amour. 
And that's a very specific movie for very specific people. (laughs) It has one of the great lines in it of all time at the end. Billy Wilder knew how to put the button on the end of a movie, especially when you look at something like Some Like It Hot. Yes. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. It's great, and I think it's second to Shut Up and Deal. Shut Up and Deal is unbelievable. And you know what? Ten again. Ten again. You can't argue with the Academy, can you? You can. You can. You absolutely can. You can. (laughs) But not this year. Ten for screenplay. Next up is style and tone. I see where this is going. This is not a very fancy movie. No. And it's by design. Exactly. This apartment is set up in such a way that you can shoot it all around pretty easily, but it's also very much still a soundstage that you're looking at. That's wild. You can take in everything that you see on the screen because of the way that Billy Wilder shot this thing. And we'll get there in a second, but the apartment and the geography of how the rooms are all set out, they matter. And they matter quite a bit. Absolutely. And you have, yeah, because it has to make sense with the whole hallway and the neighbors and it's very good set design. How about we go with a nine just to come down to (gasps) earth a little bit. If there has to be a hit, it might be here. (laughs) If you're going to take a hit, I guess it's in style and tone. You're surprising me, but uh, okay. You know what? No, we'll go 10 (laughs) because with music, I think that's where the hit's going to come. Okay. That makes more sense. There's not a whole lot going on there, but yeah, it's fine. 10 again. 10 again, style and tone. Next up, director. Here we go. I don't think Billy Wilder's ever shot a movie the same way twice, where you have a lot of directors who have a lot of signature moves that they go to. Quentin Tarantino and Feet, for instance. It's a great example. But in this movie, Billy Wilder doesn't do a whole lot with the camera, and it's by design. He doesn't want to draw attention to the shot. Yeah. He wants the actors to draw attention to themselves. So it is a bit of a static camera even though it sort of does move the tiniest bit very subtly with the actors that are on screen. Yeah, I noticed it a lot in the office shots after I read that the people in the background were children, and I wanted to get a look at that, but the camera moves just enough so you can't tell. That shot right there is unbelievable because you think that you're looking at this giant deep office, and it's not. It's just a normal soundstage that they used a ton of forced perspective on because the desks up front, completely normal. The desks start getting smaller as it goes back, and also, yeah, they're children <laughs> in the background. <laughs> and all the way down to, like, small puppets yep. in the very far background to make it look like a much bigger room than it is, and that's that's impressive. It's a magic trick. God, that's so good. Nowadays, they would just shoot in front of a green screen and CGI in the rest of the office, and that's boring. It can be very boring. So I think actual cinematography and actual photography and knowing what you're doing with the camera, I'm not saying that directors today don't know what they're doing with the camera. It's just a lot of people like to show off with the camera. They like to draw attention to the camera. Yes. Like, look at these cool things I could do with the camera. That's very much not what's happening here. No. One of the things I like about this movie that Jack Lemmon has famously said was as he signed on to the movie without even reading the script because Billy Wilder... He said, I'd have signed even if he said he was going to do the phone book. That is one of the best compliments you can give a human being hard stop. Yeah. 11. Yeah, I saw that coming. (laughs) And that's me stopping myself from breaking a rule. Well, I wouldn't allow that. I know. We we don't do that now. We're sane human beings. We used to do that a whole lot, but (laughs) not anymore. 
we even adjusted the scale. So if we do that, it matters less. Exactly. <laughs> no more breaking the score by double. Next up is music. It's there. It's boring. Yeah, composed by Adolf Deutsch. He did fine. There's really yeah, right. nothing terribly special about it. It was nominated for Best Soundtrack Grammy. It was. It fits the movie perfectly, but it's not like the Godfather theme or something like yeah, that. Even the theme from The Apartment was borrowed from uh, British composer Charles Williams. It was originally called Jealous Lover, but the re-release did reach number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. I'm thinking like six or seven. Yeah, I like somewhere like, I in like there. A six or a seven. Oh, which one are you thinking? Which one is calling to you? Six, honestly. Yeah, me too. All right, okay, that's totally good. fair. Whew. Next up is box office. Uh, with these older movies, we don't have as much information about, but the estimated budget on this was three million dollars, and it did gross eighteen point eight million dollars, which is like a six hundred twenty percent, six hundred twenty six percent increase, which is a lot. It is a lot. It's a 10. It's funny how you just, you know, you tell a good story on the screen and it makes money. And people are like, hey, I got to see that. You don't need to just throw money at the screen and say, no, why am I not making my money back? It's a $200 million movie. It should make four. Nope. That's not how it works all the time, folks. <laughs> Did you uh, see that stuff about the most expensive movie in Japan's history? That it's only like $50 million or something like that? Yeah. I, I don't even think it got into the 50s. It stayed in the 40s. But you have those types of movies that are just making buku bucks, and they're not costing much. Like, the Hollywood system is Oh, mess. there's a lot of fun number-playing games that happen in the Hollywood system. Tons, and sometimes you can just make a movie and shelve it and then just take the tax run up, and that's fucked. And that's how you become a Warner brother. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a 10, right? Yeah, it's a 10 for box office, and we don't even have control over that number. That's just what it is. The final category is impact on the industry. It has to be a 10. I mean, this thing was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It won five of them for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Story slash Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing. It is in the National Film Registry. It is listed as one of the best comedies of all time. On of all time. Damn near every list that you find. Yep. And it is the basis for the musical Promises Promises. Gotta be a 10. It's a gotta 10. be a 10. Wow. We didn't break our scale. No, and thanks, music, for Thank, fucking up everything we were trying to do. A little bit better music, and this could be the greatest score of all time. But it could be. here we are. It still might be the best score we've ever given. I take that back. We gave Kung Fury 100. Well, yeah, and that was probably too low. And The Godfather was 102. I forgot that The Godfather scored that high, honestly. We did break this, this score with The Godfather. We're going to get awfully damn close to drinking. I just want to let you know that. Whatever you say. The final score for The Apartment is a 98. We're above, believe it or not. Really? Because critically, this movie scores a 93% Rotten Tomatoes, and audiencely, it's a 94%. Oh, wow. So we like it just a little more than people who really like this movie. <laughs> That's appropriate, though. It is. Brian, thank you so much for this treat. I'm sure people didn't even bother listening to this one. Or if they did, they tuned in, then they tuned right out. <laughs> I'm like shitting on our listeners. And they deserve it at this point. You know they who deserve you it. are. <laughs> There's like three or four of them right now. Like, I've seen the apartment so many times. You guys are assholes. That would be fantastic. In that case, why are you not asking questions on Facebook? It's the only Facebook question that we got. 
It's from Jeff Miners, and he said, saw the apartment, huh? So, Dave, are you full rhubarb right now? And I am, and you could touch. Oh, you're not You're not supposed to touch. You're not supposed to, but I'm feeling a little naughty because I'm feeling frisky because we just watched the apartment. <laughs> it's kind of a Christmas movie. That's another reason that I picked it. It makes sense. Thank you so much for picking it. This was fantastic. Brian, I'm so excited for you to tell everybody what we are talking about next week for our drunk Christmas episode. <sighs> you had to use that D word, didn't you? I did. You've been trying to get yourself out of it, and I'm not yeah. going to let you. I'm putting it here on a recording for everyone to hear. You had so many pickles that were just in alcohol, and I don't know why you <sighs> kept eating pickles. The rest of the jar is still <laughs> in the fridge. Throw the jar out. Oh, I'm going to. Not a chance that that's getting opened again. No way. But next week, for our drunk Christmas episode... We are going to be talking about a movie. We've already said it a couple times. It's the Santa Claus. It's the Santa Claus. We're going to go up on a roof and fall off probably due to (laughs) inebriation. Hopefully. Uh? I can't wait to talk about this one because that movie is insane. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Next week, drunkenly, saying it again, Brian, drunkenly, (laughs) we're talking the Santa Claus. Until then, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and send your movie suggestions for next month's listener pick. And our patrons always get double the picks. Join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash movie. This month we're going to be doing a thing. Are we bracketing? Are we? Oh, we're recording it right after this. I know exactly what we're doing. We're doing a crappy hour. We are doing crappy hour. It is Santa Claus Conquers the Martians from 1964. Yeah, see, movies did come out before 2020. <laughs> we did the apartment. It's going to score really, really high after having watched Santa Claus versus, <laughs> versus I want to keep saying versus the Mars because he certainly doesn't conquer them. He Santa Claus doesn't. conquers the Martians. I watched it twice. I watched it on Prime Video because it is there. And then yes. I watched the Mystery Science Theater 3000 of it because that's also there. That movie's a treat uh, if treats were nougats with poop all over them. Poopy nougats. That's it. <laughs> Email us your movie picks, questions, or comments to beermeamoviepod at gmail.com and follow us on social media at beermeamovie on everything except for the one thing. But, you know, you'll find us if you really want to. Now, I feel bad because we've been telling everybody about watching the Santa Claus next week for a few weeks now. So I feel one. I still want to give them a surprise at the end of this. If you, if you tuned in and listened to our The Apartment episode, you deserve to know ahead of time what's coming down the pipe and we're taking a couple weeks off for the holidays when we come back in the middle of january we're gonna be talking about something that should be exciting to everybody even those of you who don't like classic cinema and dave why don't you tell everybody what that's gonna be well me and brian were talking we realized that we haven't stolen any dvd players or put up pink slips recently and also there's a certain franchise that we have wanted to talk about for a really really long time and it's about time that we do it it's just ludicrous that we haven't done that. It, Paul Walker pun. We're talking about the Fast <laughs> and the Furious. Stay tuned for that. That's going to be a good time. I sincerely cannot wait. It's going to be a great way to start the new year off. Brian, do you have anything else? That is it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see everybody next week for our annual drunk episode where we're talking the Santa Claus. We'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>